0: Well good morning. Great to see everybody. It's so good to be back up and speaking again with everyone and and uh being on this side of of our worship service this morning and and i kind of have like i have hot water because i don't know how many of you the weather lately has just been messing with my voice and my sinuses and everything going on but we finally got snow right that's like first time in a long time of course it's gone already but but it's there But uh, hopefully everyone had a great Christmas and got some time to spend with family and friends and just worshiping uh, and celebrating this time that we uh, celebrate the coming of Jesus and what he has done for us. And and we're going to kind of continue in that vein today as we continue our series of Come and See. You know, like Jennifer said, this time of year, we... A lot of times, for whatever reason it is, starting a new year kind of feels like starting over, starting something new, doing something new in our lives, and so we have a tendency to, as this new year comes, to think, what can I do different in my life? What can I change, or what can I work on? And so that's, I think, where those New Year's resolutions, you know, kind of popped up, and you know, I... I don't usually say for sure this is what I'm gonna do, you know, but it is kind of a time to think about what can I work on this year. And so as I was thinking of that, I came up with some some ideas of resolutions that maybe some of you might wanna have in your life as you as you move through the new year. Maybe not, but I'll let you decide that. The first one is maybe you could join a buy nothing group on Facebook and trade up as much as you can to see how big of an item you could get. Or maybe you could keep—you could be the one to keep gum and mints inside your purse or your pocket so that whenever friends after dinner, you could be the one to give that to them. Maybe you could start a meme account. Huh? That sounds like a great one. Maybe somehow you could work uh, the words time will tell into at least one conversation a day. Or maybe you could drink your coffee while it's still hot, huh? How many of you, now at work I do this a lot. I put my coffee in the microwave to warm up, and then the next day I go to warm up my coffee and it's still in the microwave. So, you know, drink it while it's hot. Maybe every time you go shopping at the mall, you could throw a penny in the well and get rid of all those pennies. Maybe you could learn the thriller dance by Halloween, Huh? Maybe you could rearrange your kitchen again. Maybe you could make it for the year, you could order every drink on the Starbucks menu. Or maybe you could flamingo a friend's yard for their birthday. That's a good one. Maybe you could, this is a good one, maybe you could perfect your charcuterie board skills. Huh? Maybe you could stop drinking your morning coffee after you brush your teeth. (laughs) If not, maybe you're friends with the person that decided to keep mints in their pocket. You could celebrate Hallmark's countdown to Christmas in July. Uh, You could exercise your right to celebrate Taco Tuesday. You could host a chicken party. If you need any help with that, you can see our family. You could treat your car to regular disco car washes. That one's for my family too. You could perfect your favorite celebrity impression. Hmm? Uh, Maybe you could spend the night, or maybe you could spend a night ending each and every sip of your drink with an enthusiastic, ah, yes. Or maybe you could see how many times you could watch your favorite series back-to-back without getting bored of it through the year. So maybe there are some good resolutions that maybe you want to work on through this year in case you didn't have any. But, you know, as we're going through this series of Come and See, and, and we've been looking at different people that were involved in the birth of Jesus in some way. And we've seen how each of these people were asked to trust God in their part in the coming of Jesus, the one that would become the savior of the world. And we saw how each of them chose to follow God and do what he had asked of them. Some of them, I suppose, like Mary, didn't really have much of a choice. But it was about her attitude and how she went forward with that. And Joseph and his attitude and how he went forth with what God was telling him. But now we've come to this part in the series of this come and see where we look at what God is asking of us and what we are to do with this son, Jesus, and how he sent him to earth and what we are to do with him. You know, when Jesus was born, the angels came, they announced his birth to, to individual people and to groups of people as well. And they each listened to what God had told them and obeyed. But you know, you know, we don't think about this, but there were right away people that weren't happy to hear about this birth. Not all people wanted to know about this arrival. Or they didn't believe that Jesus was the one that they were waiting for. And so as Jesus grew and he began to exhibit these signs of who he was and what he had came to earth for, there started to be a push around him. And that's what we're going to start to look at. It's going to be our starting point for the day is in Matthew 13, starting in verse 53 where it says, "'When Jesus had finished these parables, "'he moved on from there. "'Coming to his hometown, "'he began teaching the people in their synagogue, "'and they were amazed. "'Where did this man get his wisdom "'and these miraculous powers?' they asked. "'Isn't this the carpenter's son? "'Isn't his mother's name Mary? "'And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? "'Aren't all his sisters with us?' where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And so we've moved a little ahead in the story from the baby in the manger to talk about what we are going to do with the announcement of Jesus' birth. And Is he just this cute little baby that grew up and became a carpenter's son, did some good things? Or is he more than that? Is he truly the Savior and Lord of all? You know, the questions that the people in the synagogue were asking, that it wasn't so much out of uh, being interested in the answers for them. It, they were angered that this hometown boy was gaining more popularity already than they had. There was so much interest surrounding Jesus that it upset them. And so from the start, people were rejecting what Jesus was about and what he was doing. You know, these questions weren't about getting answers, but to cast doubt on who Jesus was and where he came from. And they were hoping that, you know, people would start to have this doubt themselves instead of listening to him and being intrigued with what he was saying. In one sense, you can kind of understand you know, the, that they would have these questions because there's this young, young man from a rough part of town, no official training, you know, no special breeding. He was just a carpenter's son. No education that they knew of. And he starts doing and, and saying things that he'd never done before. But by these questions, they've only condemned themselves because they can't deny the things that he was doing. But they rejected his claims of who he was. And they took offense to him instead. Which means, really, they found him to be an obstacle to what they thought was faith. And so to get started, just to, I wanted to kind of think about what it would mean to be rejected. And maybe there was a time in your life where you felt rejected in some way by someone. So I want, to talk, I want you to talk with somebody that's sitting next to you, or, or maybe think about it if you're sitting on your own, a time where someone had rejected you for some reason. And why was it that they had rejected you? So just take like 30 seconds to talk about that. life is ref, is full of rejections right i'm sure everybody could think of a time it, whether it was a big deal or a small deal that you felt rejected about something and you know i find it kind of ironic i guess is the right word that i'm doing this lesson because the parable that jesus tags at the end of this where he says a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home i could relate to this in a in a great way you know, I understand what it means to grow up in a town and be there your whole life and to care about it and want to do great things for it, whether it's spiritual or, or not spiritual, just doing good things. But the further you climb, it seems, and feels, the tougher people are on their own hometown. Because they don't see you maybe as someone that can do those things. They see you as you once were and have a hard time seeing past that. You know, this happened to me from uh, the start of my professional career. Uh, I was the one that would go around giving advice and people would listen to me about making the community as healthy as it could be. You know, making it a healthy place, especially for our young people. And when I became the DDA director, you know, people were upset about that. And even some thought it was a scandal that I got that job because I was just the downtown caretaker at the time. And the, even the village manager told someone, hey, we decided to hire Nick. And their answer was, you mean the water boy? And so I understand that feeling of wanting to do good but being pushed back from people who, who, where it seems like they don't want you to do good for them. And so for Jesus from the start, this is what he was up against. There was jealousy involved and plotting against him. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. They were already choosing their path. And so today we have a choice. Do we just reject all that the Bible says about our Savior and our Lord? Or do we respond like the others that we've seen the last few weeks and say, yes, God, you know what you're doing, the creator of the universe. You know what you're doing. I will continue in your path and what you have called me to do. I will follow you. Do we see him just as a carpenter's son, or as a savior? Let's pray, dear me, Father. I just thank you for your word and that we can go to it as your church and just find gems of what it means to live for you. I pray today that as we look into your word, that your Spirit will work in our lives in in ways that. Uh, can lead us to live lives that better represent who you are. I pray if there's someone here today, they're not sure what it means to follow Jesus, what that means for their life, I pray that today they get the answers that they need to the questions they have of what it means to follow you. And I just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So to look at what it means to follow Jesus, we're actually going to look at Matthew 4, starting verse 18. And, and, and this is Jesus going to Peter and Andrew and then James and John. And he went to them and said to them, follow me. And we see what their response was. And as we look at this, we need to think, what would our answer be if Jesus came to our office or to our home or into our church and said, follow me? Because he's doing that. He's asking us that question. But how will we respond? And so we're looking in Matthew 4, starting in verse 18 Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So the first thing that we see here is really a call to follow. Jesus' repeated call to the people around him was to follow him. Here he commands the brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, follow me. In Matthew 8, we see men that are asking about being his disciples, and Jesus' response is, follow me. In Matthew 9, he talks to Matthew, the tax collector, the author of this book, and tells him, follow me. And in Matthew 10, he's speaking about the meaning of what it means to be a disciple and he says who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me and in Matthew 19 Jesus meets the rich young ruler and after testing about his money he tells them yeah you could guess it follow me at the end of the book of John, after Jesus had been crucified and buried and resurrected, and he appeared to his disciple just before he left the earth, he told Peter one last time, follow me. Over and over, Jesus told those he meant in scripture to follow me. And this is what he commands us to do today. We're to follow him. But what does that mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, I think first, before we look at what it means, we can look at what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus. Because sometimes we can get confused and think we're doing some things and that means we're following Jesus. So some things of what it, mean, what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus is just going to church. You know, I think there are many people who would think... Uh, if they were asked do you follow Jesus they say well yeah I go to church every week but just going to church is not following Jesus Now, going to church should be part of following Jesus but there is so much more than just that You can go to church and not be a follower of Jesus. And in in fact, I actually hope today there are people here that have not yet decided to follow Jesus because this is certainly for you to hear. And in Mark 1, the Bible says Jesus went to the synagogue to preach and there was a man in the synagogue with a demon who cried out against Jesus. So we shouldn't think too much about being a follower of Jesus as just going to church. All kinds of people go to church. Going to church is not the same as following Jesus. Following Jesus does not mean just believing in who he is. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James says, listen, even the demons believe who he is. They know who he is, but they're not followers of Jesus. Uh, John 12 tells us that at the same time, many, even the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. The Bible says these people believed who Jesus was. But they were ashamed. They didn't want to confess who he was. They didn't follow Jesus. Just believing is not following Jesus. Following Jesus does not mean you like him. There are a lot of people today who say, you know, I like what Jesus represents. You know, he was a good man. He had some wise advice, some good sayings, you know, some things that I'd want to follow in life, a way to treat people. But liking Jesus is not following him. Following Jesus means more than just liking him or liking his words or enjoying reading what he has to say. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? The first thing that it means to follow Jesus is we need to make that choice. The first step is to make a decision to follow him. To know that you need him. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done wrong. There's no one that is perfect. We cannot be good enough to reach God because he expects perfection. And our sin, our wrong, separates him from from us. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, our sins mean that we will die. It causes us to die. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death that separates us from the one true God. And it separates us not only just today, but for eternity. That when we die, we would be separated from our creator for eternity in a place of torment called hell. But the second part of that Romans verse, Romans 6.23, says there is a gift there is a gift that leads to eternal life. What is that gift? Well, John three sixteen, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. You know, people at many sports events know this verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave, he gifted, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life god gave us his son as a gift he gave jesus to take on human form that's what we celebrate during christmas to live jesus lived that perfect life that was needed to be a sacrifice for all and only jesus could fulfill that requirement that's why on Easter we celebrate, more than Easter, but especially during Easter, we worship Jesus in the fact that Jesus died for us. He was perfect, but took on our sin, our wrong upon himself, and died for us. But we celebrate also Easter, that he did not stay dead, but conquered death and rose again, so that through him we can also raise to life. Again, with God now, but also for eternity. Not just here on earth, but forever in heaven with him when we die. So we have this gift. What do we do with that gift? Romans ten eight says, But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. The first step in following Jesus is realizing that you've done wrong. You cannot reach God on your own. But through Jesus, by accepting that only through His shed blood could you have forgiveness of your sins and mend that relationship with your God. That you could turn away from your sin, your wrong, and make Him Lord of your life. And that means the King the one that you listen to, the one you obey, the one that means more to you than anything else, then you start to follow him. You need to believe in his death and resurrection and ask him to forgive you of those wrongs in your life. Tell him you want to follow him from this day forward, that you want him to be the Lord of your life. And you could do that right now while you're sitting there. If you decided that that is what you wanted to do, you could just do it without too much fanfare right now. But what we'd ask is if you do decide that or if you have questions, that you talk with someone, whether it's me or Pastor John, someone with a lanyard, someone that you know here about it, and so we can help you in the next steps of following Jesus. So once we make that choice, we realize that following Jesus means a lot more uh, things that are going on in our life. That our life is going to be different. And the first thing that we see is that we may have to leave some things behind. And we see this in Matthew 4, 18 through 22 with the uh, disciples that we just read about. You know, those disciples following Jesus meant literally, physically leaving where they were and following him wherever he went. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that's exactly what they did. Matthew did the same thing. They literally got up and left what they were doing, left things behind, and started following Jesus. They left jobs and nets and families and priorities and plans, all kinds of things in order to follow Jesus. So what I want you to talk about again with someone sitting next to you is this. What do you think are some things that we may need to leave behind today in order to follow Jesus? What are some things that we need to leave behind today in order to follow Jesus? Just talk 30 seconds about that. so it's a little different today right than in those times Jesus isn't standing physically in front of us calling us to physically follow him but following Jesus still means leaving things behind to follow him in a different way with our life you know, some things that maybe we've left behind are uh, things we had planned you know, things that were centered around what we wanted When you follow Jesus, your life is about him and what he wants. It's centered around him. It's no longer what I feel like doing. It's what God has instructed me to do through his word. It's not about what we accomplish on earth anymore, but what can we do for heaven? We're leaving behind the old way of life to follow Jesus in a new, brand new kind of life. It also means that we leave behind sin, the wrong in our life. And that goes along with that first step of following Jesus. Because following Jesus doesn't mean that you can just keep on doing whatever you were doing beforehand. You know, you can just sin and do whatever you want because, you know, you'll just have Jesus clean up after you. That's not how it works. Really following Jesus includes leaving behind your sin to turn from the wrong in our life to follow him in a new holy life. You know, a great example of that would be the adulterous woman in John 8. You know, caught in the act, shamed publicly, but Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. But we can't miss the sentence that comes right after that. Now go and sin no more. Truly, following Jesus doesn't mean you just go on and do whatever you want to do still. Jesus will forgive you. We're not perfect. We're going to mess up. He will forgive us. But follow Jesus means we are imitating him, one who was without sin. We live a holy life. And if you look on the road behind Jesus and the disciples, you'll find all kinds of things that they left behind in order to follow him. And we need to ask, what do we need to leave behind to truly follow Jesus? Third, we see that following Jesus means spending time with him. Mark 3.14 says, He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them to preach. You know, spending time with Jesus is very important for us. That's what the first followers of Jesus did. They walked with him. They asked him questions. They listened to his answers. They just spent time with him. And in Mark 3, it says that when Jesus called the 12 to follow him, it was so that, you know, the purpose was they could be with him. And he then sent them out to preach. You know, he called his followers to minister. But first, he just said, I want you to be with me. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You know, Jesus died so that we could be brought back to be with God. We'll start to be with God, you know, forever in heaven. But we can start being with him now by faith as we walk with him in his word and we pray and we worship him each day. And if we're not walking with Jesus every day, it's really hard to follow him. When we look at Matthew 10, it talks a lot about what it means to really follow Jesus. Just some of the highlights of that are in verse 32. It says, we need to confess him. That whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So part of what it means to follow Jesus is to align with him publicly as your Lord and Savior. You know, that's what it talks about in Romans 10 that we looked at. Today, you know, we do that, kind of the first step of doing that a lot of times as a new Christian is through baptism. It's like our public notice of, you know, our commitment to follow Jesus. But God gives us opportunities throughout every day of our life to stand for him publicly. And we shouldn't back away from those times. Because claiming Jesus is part of what it means to follow him. And then fifth, it means becoming like him. Matthew ten twenty five it says, It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. And so part of following Jesus is that we are to become more like him. And we can't become more like Jesus without spending time with him in his word and learning about him and what he thinks and what he says about living life. And we see in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, you know, how our character should be, how we should act, and it's outlined really well there. We can also get to know him, or we can't get to know him without talking with him and listening to him, that time in prayer. I mean, can you imagine trying to get to know somebody really well without ever talking to them or listening to them and what they have to say? It would be impossible to do that. It's the same with God. Then we're also to become like him in our ministry, in our life. We are to to follow Jesus by doing the things that he would be doing in this world. And we see the ministry of Jesus here on earth in Matthew 4.23. Where following Jesus means that we're doing what he did when he was in the world. Worshiping God, serving God, reaching others, teaching to others, caring for people. That was the ministry of Jesus. then six, we see that following him, him means loving him. In verse 37, it says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we don't greatly love and take care of our family. But what it means is that we are to love Jesus so much that the love for our family pales in comparison to that. Part of following Jesus is loving him. And when you are really following Jesus, you don't just fill out a card or say a prayer or respond to an altar call. You fall in love with him so much that it changes your life and the way that you think about things that sometimes even your family doesn't understand that love. 1 Peter 1:8 says though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what we gain through the love of Jesus. Peter says you love Jesus for who he is, for what he's done for you. A big part of following Jesus is just loving him. You know all these things are are parts of what it means to follow Jesus. To leave some things behind. It means we confess him publicly. It means we spend time with him and become more like him. It means we do things that he did while he was here on earth and that we just love him. And then last, following Jesus means you minister to people. 1 Timothy 1, 5-7 says, The goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently confirm. He says, listen, you can read and study God's word as much as you possibly can but it's supposed to grow you in love. If your studying of God's word doesn't make you love God and his people and people in general more, then you've missed the whole thing. You can memorize the whole Bible, but if it doesn't lead you to love God more, if it doesn't lead you to reach out to others and to be loved to them, then it's for nothing. You know, teachers in school a lot complain today about having to teach to a test. You know, they feel like they're just teaching so that the kids regurgitate onto a test this little bits of knowledge that they've learned. And you know, it's, it could be the same with Christianity. It's not just some test that we need to know the answers for. It needs to compel us to live for a God and do what he has called us to do and to reach others. Our focus is on who God is and that he has called us to reach others. You know, I love the... I haven't watched it in a long time, but uh, the last scene of uh, the Jimmy Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and great time, obviously, to watch that. But George, in that movie, had tried all his life to make something of himself and to make money, and to get out of the town. That's all he wanted to do. But in the end, when everything came crashing down on him, it was all the people that he touched and helped that came to help bail him out. He realized life isn't about all those other things. It's about people that you touch with your life. If that's what it means to follow Jesus can we say, are we following him today? If you're not going where Jesus would go or doing what Jesus would do in this world, are we truly following Jesus? Because following Jesus means a lot more than just hitting a like button on Twitter or Facebook. It means leaving an old life behind and all kinds of other things. And confess him as the Lord of your life. And to base your life around that. The last thing we're going to look at are some benefits to following Jesus. And, you know, I used to kind of wonder if it was right to really think about benefits in following Jesus. Because it just seems selfish to say that. You know, Jesus said, if we really do want to follow him, then we need to deny ourselves daily to pick up our cross and to follow him. It's not about us. It's about following him. He said, if we really follow him in this world, we're going to experience persecution and tribulation. We're going to have trouble in this world. Because we need to go against the grain of the world to follow him. And that is going to cause problems in our life. No doubt about it, there is a cost to following Jesus in a world that's still influenced by sin and Satan. And we should really consider that cost when making the decision to follow him or not. And while this is true... That there is that cost. The Bible actually talks a lot more about benefits and promises of following Jesus than it does the cost and the challenges. Godly benefits and promises strengthen us from the battles that we face each day. And while we're to follow him, no matter what goes on in life, it's really about perspective. You know, God's a giver. He wants everyone to experience spiritually rich and eternal life with him. Even if our physical life is hard. And so reading these types of God-given benefits of following Jesus uh, should really fill us with thanksgiving and gratitude and worship and faith and motivation. Because God's words are life. And so I'm just going to read through real quick these, some of these benefits. And these are just some of the things that we can expect as followers of Jesus. And then you can look them up later and, and, and find out others that you can find. But just real quick, some of them are specific, having a specific purpose for your life. In 2 Timothy and Ephesians. Having a personal, direct, love-saturated relationship with the creator of the universe as your savior, your father, your source. We have a direct access to God as our father 24-7. We see in John 15 and John 3. We have a guarantee of eternal life with God in heaven. We experience levels of life and existence far beyond our natural ability to think or imagine. You see, C.S. Lewis said, that heaven is where one day is better than the next forever. John 6 and Revelation 21. We here we can find out about that. We have the potential to experience more and more of the greater than the world life that God offers to us, no matter what is happening in our life. We're made righteous in God's sight, as if you've never sinned, justified as a free gift. You never have to try again to be good enough for God's acceptance. We have complete forgiveness, payment, release from the judgment of every sin we've ever committed or ever will commit. We have assurance of new, glorified, immortal, free from decay, eternal bodies when these ones die. We have new realms of life meaning power and love beyond our natural ability to comprehend. We have a peace with God and a peace in ourselves, we see in Romans 5. We have God's instructions on how to live, access to wisdom and knowledge of how to live our life from God himself, written down. We see Timothy 3.16 We join God's family, spiritual brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. We have God's church to know we are not in this alone. We see in 1 Corinthians and Acts 2. We have an accurate worldview based on God's truth, how things actually are. We have greater clarity and focus. We can focus our resources better have easier uh, decision-making and confidence that we're on the right track when we're following Jesus. Matthew 6 and Psalms 11, many Psalms. A new God-given nature and identity. We're united with Christ. We're seated with him. Christ is within us. Our self-worth, our value, our confidence is all based on who God has created us to be, not what others think we should be. We have an awareness of the reality of the powerful, unseen spiritual world that others just can't even fathom. We have a proven practice that transforms our life. And all of God's promises are potentially ours if we hold to them, which is in the thousands. We're a sharer in Christ's inheritance, and everything belongs to Jesus. We have a destiny of ruling and reigning in eternity with Jesus. We have God's help. God actively is involved in working out his plans in our life the creator of the universe. We have godly, life-given desires. And God's promise that he works all things to good in our life, in Romans 8. And we have authority over the devil and his demons. We see in Luke 10 and Ephesians 6. And these are just... Few of those benefits of truly following Jesus with your life. And as David comes up and plays for us as we end, I would just like to think about those things and what God has done for you. Ultimately, by sending Jesus and what we celebrate for Christmas, this Christmas. But He didn't send Him just to be this cute little baby in a manger. He sent him to to grow, to live a perfect life, to do miraculous things and caring for people to ultimately give his life for us, to bridge that gap we now have with our creator and God. What we need to conclude our Christmas message with is the question, what have we done with Jesus? Are we truly following him? Have we taken that first step in following him, asking him for forgiveness for our sins, giving our life to him as our Lord and our Savior? If not, what a great time of year to be able to do that. If you haven't and you have questions about it, you're not sure, but you just need to find out more, or talk to me about it. Or Pastor John or anybody with a lanyard can help you to lead you in that direction, what it means to start a walk in following Jesus. Maybe you've taken that first step in following Jesus, but how has that grown? Have you truly shown him how serious you are with your life? Or is it just words that you say on a Sunday? What have we done with this baby? Is he just a carpenter's son? Or is he our Lord and Savior? Is he the Lord and Savior of the world? Let's spend some time in thinking about our next steps with Jesus. And then I'll close us in prayer. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time that we come together and worship you as your church. I just pray that as we look in your word today, we be reminded of what you have done, what it means that the Son of God came to earth for us. As we head into this new year, I just pray that we think about whether we're truly following you, Maybe we need to make that first step in following you with our life. Or maybe there are points along the way that we need to work on and look at. A new year just kind of makes a good transition into deciding that we're going to follow you with all of our life. I pray today as we leave from here, we'll remember those things and what we can do to live for you, to love you and reach others for you pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning and uh, concluding of our Christmas celebration through this month. I just pray that uh, as we leave from here, we live lives that show that love of God to others and, and to our God. And uh, ha- have a happy new year and have a safe one and um, you'll be thinking about those things that you can do to live more for Jesus. Thanks.